G'day, g'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I want to let you know that some of you may be aware that over the past eight years, I have built a substantial multifamily real estate portfolio here in the US worth over half a billion dollars. And in that time, my passive investors have received fantastic double digit returns. And now you too can invest directly into my deals for as little as $50,000. So if you're an interested investor, head over to reedgoosens.com to find out more. That's reedgoosens.com. Now back into the show. Well, it has all come crashing down many times in history all over the world. <laughs> the world has not ended bear markets and bad economic times, although the Secretary of the Treasury in the U.S. says, don't worry, we have, we have things under control now. We won't have economic problems in the future. She has a couple of fancy Ivy League degrees, so if you believe her, then don't worry. Everything's never, we're never going to have problems again. Your new child is going to have a wonderful life. Unfortunately, my reading of history is that we've always had economic problems. Everybody has on a recurring basis, and we will again. It would be great if we never had problems. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? But I, I know that's not the way the world has ever worked. That's not the way history works. That's not the way economics works. That's not the way human beings work. So I, anyway, I don't expect a problem this month, but you know, we're going to have problems in the next year or two, and they're probably going to be very serious because the, remember 2008, we had a big problem because of too much debt. Well, my gosh, you know, Reed, since 2009, the debt has skyrocketed everywhere. So the next problem has to be really bad because the debt is so much higher than it's ever been anywhere in history. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. 
You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. But you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to readgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug with the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of chatting with the one and only Jim Rogers. Now, for people who don't know who Jim is, Jim has dedicated his life as a financial commentator, an adventurer, and a successful investor. He has been frequently featured in Times Magazine, The Washington Post, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and just to name a few. And he's had a dedicated career as a successful investor, and he's gone on to publish 12 best-selling books across the globe. He's become a Guinness World Record holder, and now he resides in Singapore. He is best known for his thoughts on global economy while successfully investing whilst traveling. And I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible depth of knowledge. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Jim. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Reed, I'm delighted to be here. I'm sure I'm going to learn more than you will. <laughs> well, my friend, I always like to ask my guests when they jump on the show, and this is a bit of a curveball, rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Oh, my first time, I can remember the very night it happened. I was five years old. I was picking up, uh, there was a baseball game in the town where my grandparents lived. And the old lady hired me to pick up empty bottles. She paid me five cents for every 24 bottles. And one night I made a dollar and 15 cents. I couldn't believe how much money that was. I could not, in fact, I went home and I gave my three-year-old brother some of it because I just couldn't believe how how much money had suddenly fallen into my pocket. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, look, I don't want to let do injustice of your background, but you you you're you're very well well dedicated, uh, decorated, I should say, in terms of your views on the, the the global economy. Do you want to give the listeners just maybe a thirty-second to a minute, you know? crash course elevator pitch of of what you've achieved in your lifetime and i you know the the, the i could talk for 20 minutes of all the achievements but i want to hear it from the man himself um you know to give us a background for people who may not know, understand or know who you are well i had a career on wall street it was successful uh, and i retired when i was 37 because i wanted adventure i wanted to see the world and so i set out to See the world, drove around the world twice, once on a motorcycle, once in a car, as you know, uh, because I wanted to see see it all and do it all. I certainly had a little bit of money, and I certainly need and like to make money, but to me, there were other things in life, and I wanted to do some of those things. And and by the way, I never had children. I didn't want children, uh, but when I was 60, I had my first child. I realized I was wrong about children. Now I have two daughters and it's fantastic. And if there's anybody who hasn't had children and you're old enough, be sure you do it. I just had my first daughter. Uh, she is four months old and I'm uh, there's bags under these eyes, mate, and that's uh, for a reason. So <laughs> um, with that being said, I want to talk a little bit about your perspective on traveling the globe because you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm originally from Australia, moved to the US. I get, I get a lot of impact out of traveling to different countries and seeing how pe- different people live. So what was the the draw for you to travel the globe and then successfully invest whilst traveling and seeing how other economies work and uh, and, and what might drives them to to maybe be a, be a good investment for you and your, your clients? Well, I mean, I grew up in a town in the backwoods where my phone number was five. If you grew up in a town like that, you either never leave or you want to see it all. 
and I was nuts and crazy and insisted on seeing it all. And I found the more I traveled, the more I learned. It's a phenomenal education to have to cross a border in a desert or see places you've never been, find your own food, find your own place to sleep. You cannot believe how much you learn about yourself, life, and the world. And I learned many places were certainly not what you read in the press, certainly not what the propaganda says. And from my very first travels, it was very exciting. And so I wanted more of it. I'm sure my children someday will say, Daddy, we wish you'd stay working longer. <laughs> you know, uh, But I wanted to use whatever money I had to buy my freedom and to have adventure. You end up in, in Singapore these days. Any particular reason, tax reasons, just you want to live in Singapore because you like it? Well, certainly not tax reasons. I'm an American citizen, so the Americans have to pay taxes wherever they are. Uh, I wanted my children, many years ago, I tried to tell everybody that China was the next great country, and they should teach their children and grandchildren Mandarin. In those days, by the way, everybody said, no, 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 Japan, 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 you know. I mean, we all know what happened, you know, the rest of that story now. But then I had this child, and I realized, what am I going to do? Because I realized raising her in New York, she would not speak Mandarin the way she should to prepare her for the 21st century. We tried China. China was very polluted in those days, uh, but it's less polluted now, but it was filthy. So I couldn't bring myself to live in China. Singapore, everything works. They speak English, they speak Mandarin, and it's fantastic education, fantastic everything. So here we are. Well, I, 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 I've never been to Singapore, but I've, I've been, traveled to a few of the Southeast Asia countries, and it's, it's an incredible part of the world. It's obviously probably very hot there right now, uh, being so close to the equator. But um, but tell me you know, your thoughts on China these days. You know, it's the world. Everyone talks about the new world order and the U.S. and losing the control. Where do you see where we are? And 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 given your decorated career, how have you seen it evolved over the years as as a China being such a, a global dominance uh, on the world stage? Well, China, well, China's been great three or four times. They've been on top. The only country in the world, by the way, that's been on top three or four times. Rome was great once, Egypt was great once, Britain was great once. But China's been on great three, on top, been great three or four times. It's collapsed three or four times. But for whatever reason, and I don't know the answer, after a few decades or centuries at the bottom, they turn around and rise to the top again. It's happening again. I can tell you all. I mean, they work hard, they save their money, they educate, they discipline their children. I mean, I can tell you all sorts of things. But I don't know why it's happened on a recurring basis. It is happening again. A billion, 400 million of them in China. And whether we like it or not, and a lot of people don't like it, China's on the rise again. And it's certainly not good that people try to stop it and fight it. People should work together. We could all have great prosperity. I mean, America and China for 30 or 40 years there proceeded to have great prosperity together. Now America is trying to go the other way, but it's happening whether we like it or not. On that point, how do you how do you navigate that when you're talking to people? Because there seems to be such a, a big, you know, there's always someone else's fault. It's China's fault. It's America's fault. It's always, you know, there's this dominance at, at who's going to be at the top of the world power. How, how do you 
how do you put all that crap aside and try and just get on and and and, and, and you know have a fruitful relationship and and have the good old days, so to speak, of what you, you mentioned earlier? Well, well, throughout history, no matter what the country, when things start going wrong, the politicians blame the foreigners. It's easy to blame the foreigners. They have different skin, different hair, different eyes, different language, different clothes, different religion, different food. It's very easy. You know, uh, they smell bad. And their food smells bad. You know, I mean, I can't imagine all the stuff I have heard over the decades about people talking about foreigners and other people. Well, it's happening again. Trump wanted to win some votes, so he started blaming all the foreigners, especially in China. He even blamed the Canadians. He even blamed the Germans. He blamed Japanese. He blamed everybody, um, but especially the Chinese, because they're the biggest and the most successful and the most visible. Uh, is it the good? Is it good for the world? Of course not. Has it always happened? Yes. Well, it hasn't always ended up in war or something, but at times countries do work together and prosper together. But the easy way, especially for politicians, is to blame the foreigners. Trump and others started doing it and it's continuing. Is it good? No, of course it's not good. Do you see and you buy into the rhetoric about the US losing world power and all this sort of stuff and the change in the world order. Do, 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 you, do you think that's happening and is, is, is transitioning to China? And, and is that a bad thing? Well, really, it, it doesn't matter if it's a bad thing or not. It's always happened. That's the way the world worked. Nobody has stayed on top for right. more than 100, 150 years. It's never happened. If you, it's never happened. So I know that's the way people work, the world works. It is always whoever's on top now will not be on top in a hundred years. And there's nothing we can do about that. We can scream all day about it, but it's, and that is what is happening now. America is now the largest debtor nation in the history of the world and the debts go higher every day. Now that has never been a way to success to build up gigantic debts. No country in history, it's built up gigantic debts and wars around the world has wound up being on top. Uh, down the road. And I, I don't like saying any of this. I'm an American and I have American family, but it's what's happening. The debts go higher, the overextension goes higher, and America has been on top for a, a century or so. That has always changed. Right. No, it's, it's such an interesting concept. And it's, it, you know, the, the change of the world order and what's going to happen. It's, I think everyone's, you know, starting with. You know, monetary policy and, and having the US dollar as the world currency. Do you see that changing and being a catalyst if it was to go away from that at all? Well, what I just said about countries being on top also applies to their currencies. No currency, no international currency has been on top forever. Uh, and unfortunately, the US is driving people away from the dollar now. You know, people in many countries realize that the dollar, that the U.S. is a huge debtor, and they're, so there are fundamental reasons for looking for another another currency, but also now there are political reasons where the Washington gets angry at you, they cut you off. Right. You know, the world's international currency is supposed to be neutral. You can do anything you want to. Anybody can do anything they want to with it. Unfortunately, now, Washington cuts you off, and so many countries, even America's friends, are starting to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this could happen to us too. So the world is out there looking for a, a new competitor to the U.S. dollar. 
And by the way, Reed, if you know what it's going to be, don't announce it. Send me an email because I'm looking for it. I don't know what it's going to be yet. You don't. You don't. You don't think crypto has has it? Is it wants to be it? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. Well, all money in the future is going to be computer money or crypto money. Uh, in China, you can't even take a taxi now with with money. You can't buy an ice cream with money. You have to have your money on the phone. And every country is working on it, including the U.S. But when the U.S. finally says, okay, guys, this is money now, I don't think the U.S. is going to say, but if you want to use that money over there, you can use that money. Uh, You know, that's not the way governments, especially the American government, works. They want control. They want to know what they want to regulate everything. So, no, I don't see how many governments are going to say, use anything you want. It would be great for the world if that were the case, but that's not the way governments think. And the governments have the guns. I don't have the guns. They have the guns. <laughs> I want to flip back to what you were saying earlier about the debt, you know, where we come out of t- 2023, uh, 22, I should say, and you know, particularly here in the US, such an increase, um, you know, we're coming on four point, the, the Fed just raised it again. So we're you know, between 4.5, uh, 4.5 and 4.75 on a, on, a, on a reserve rate. Other countries around the world, I think I saw a stat that over 90% of countries, central banks are rising in lockstep with the US to keep their dollar competitive. What, what, you know, with all the debt that they printed just recently, one, do you think it was a good thing to help us through COVID? And, and obviously every other country did it as well, Australia being one of them, you know, US being, uh, Canada being another. And then two, where do you see it going? And, and, and are we... Do you, you know, everyone keeps talking about the debt, the debt, the debt, but it doesn't seem to get any smaller, right? So what's, let's start with, was, was it a good thing to print all that money? And secondly, do we, you know, is it going to get any smaller? It has never been good in history. No country in history has become a great success by printing money and building up gigantic debt. That is good for a while. It's your term and it often has been, but it's never worked in the long term. So my answer is no, it's not good. Somebody's going to pay for it. I mean, I'm an old American. It's good to be an old American now. My kids are young Americans. It's not a good time to be a young American because of the debts and the problems that they're going to face in their lifetimes. You know, when Britain went from number one to something else, it was not a good time. You know, in in the 1920s, 100 years ago, Britain was the number one. There was no number two. 50 years later, they were bankrupt. Literally, the IMF had to bail them out. And that happened in 50 years. Uh, It's happened to everybody. And debt has never been the success. Printing money has never been the way to success. So, I mean, I obviously don't know what's going to happen, but I know what has always happened in the past, and it's going to happen again. Do you, obviously, do you think we're in a debt bubble and will it burst? And what does what does a burst look like for the U.S. if and when it comes? Well, we've had in, in the 70s, we had a lot of inflation for a variety of reasons. It was a different world, but we did have a period of very, very high inflation. And the governments had to raise interest rate to break inflation. You know, Reed, you're not going to believe this, but interest rates on short-term treasury bills 90-day treasury bills in the U.S. were over 21%. That's not a typo. You know, interest rates have gone up a bit here in the last several weeks, but 
This is nothing like what has happened in the past when we've had serious inflation problems. So before this is over, interest rates are going to go much, much higher in order to kill inflation. Now, the problem is the central bankers rarely know what they're doing. We've had some good central bankers in history, not many. Most of these guys are bureaucrats and academics. They don't know what they're doing. They're just trying to keep their jobs. They don't care about you and me. They care about their jobs. So with the with the increase, the rate of increase in which we've had, I, and I love your, your, it's a lot older than I, I was trying to look through the history books. Have we seen a rate of increase as quickly as we saw last year in history? I couldn't find anything. If we're going from zero to four, that's four. It's four hundred percent growth or fourfold. You know, in this. Well, percentage-wise, that's a huge move. We've had big moves in the past, and certainly in times of crises, some countries suddenly, you know, try, try to jack up rates a lot. Uh, we have to. Uh, we the world. I don't think anybody has that kind of crisis right now that they have to skyrocket suddenly. Yeah, zero to four is a lot percentage-wise. But to repeat, they were 21%, 21% last time around. So uh, in my view, we haven't seen the top yet. Okay, okay. With The, 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 natural, the natural next question comes, well, if the Fed keeps raising, how do they keep paying their own debt? Because I, I read somewhere, and I, I don't – don't I can't quote it, but there was some point at which the debt payments would be more than they spend on Medicaid or something like that. You know, if you got to, and I'm, I'm again making this up, a figure of like six or seven percent of the the reserve rate. Is is there any fear in your mind that they can't just they're going to get too much and they can't afford to pay their own debts back, and that would cause some tipping point in your mind? What you just said was simple arithmetic. I mean, you could get out the numbers and figure it out. And the debt is staggering in the US and put high interest rate, higher interest rates on that. And the numbers come out very, very appalling, frightening. In fact, yes, that's going to happen in the US. Is it going to happen in the, in February of 2023? No, but it's going to happen eventually because the debt keeps going higher and higher. Expenses keep, nobody's reducing their debt anywhere. Uh, <laughs> So no, it's going to get much, much worse. And that's going to continue to add to the inflation that's happening. And money printing adds to inflation. There are fundamental changes taking place in the world that cause inflation. It looks like we're going to have electric vehicles. Well, electric vehicles use much more copper than gasoline vehicles, much more lead, lithium, things like that. So we have, and, and nobody's been opening lead mines in the last few decades. So, you know, we have many things going on, which are going to mean that inflation is going to be worse. Interest rates are going to go higher and higher. You should be worried. Do you think with the jobs report that came out just recently that they added in, the, I think, the, the last month over month, over 500,000 jobs, that there's some, that some economists are putting too much weight on the strength of you know that the, 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 the economy is still adding more jobs. And if you look back at history, that that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have to have pain in unemployment to then reverse the course of reducing rate, uh, interest rates. So you know, do you think that that's a good thing that we're still seeing the, the economy adding more jobs to it? Or is that is that is, are we sort of you know twelve months in the looking in the review vision mirror of we're still making employment is still being, Decisions around employment are still being made sort of six to 12 months ago and they're not being made in today's 
interest rate environment where the Fed keeps raising rates uh, again and again? Well, I'll use the U.S. Uh, since it's the largest. If you print a lot of money and you borrow and spend a lot of money, things are going to be good. You know, Reed, if you give me $5 trillion, I will show you a very good time. <laughs> See, we will have we will have the time of your life if you give me $5 trillion to spend and throw around. But unfortunately, eventually, somebody's got to pay it back or some consequences. You have to debase it. You have to do something. And when you eventually have to do something, it's usually not fun. We're not to that stage yet, uh, not anywhere near that stage. Do, do you think in your crystal ball, where do you think that stage would come at? What sort of pain point do we have to get to? Is it unemployment going up? Is it something else that we're not seeing? You know, we, we're not, that the average you know, American or investor is not aware of that is going to sort of come and cause it to you know, all come crashing down? Well, it has all come crashing down many times in history all over the world. <laughs> the world has not ended bear markets and bad economic times, although the Secretary of the Treasury in the U.S. says, don't worry, we have, we have things under control now. We won't have economic problems in the future. She has a couple of fancy Ivy League degrees, so if you believe her, then don't worry. Everything's never, we're never going to have problems again. Your new child is going to have a wonderful life. Unfortunately, my reading of history is that we've always had economic problems. Everybody has on a recurring basis, and we will again. It would be great if we never had problems. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? But I, I know that's not the way the world has ever worked. That's not the way history works. That's not the way economics works. That's not the way human beings work. So I, anyway, I, I don't expect a problem this month. But, you know, we're going to have problems in the next year or two, and they're probably going to be very serious because the, remember 2008, we had a big problem because of too much debt. Well, my gosh, you know, Reed, since 2009, the debt has skyrocketed everywhere. So the next problem has to be really bad because the debt is so much higher than it's ever been anywhere in history. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you will automatically be notified about my new up and coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. As you look at the globe, it's one thing I talk about on this podcast a lot, that 2008 was a, a US problem that percolated around the world. Today seems to be everyone's at the same starting point. They all had COVID hit. Everyone was locked up. Everyone, you know, people lost their jobs. Central banks were panicking. What do we do? Print more money. Australia did it. Canada did it. European did it. So now we're all at this like I don't want to say starting block, but we seem to it seems to be like everyone's like what's going to happen, and they're all at the same starting block, and it's it's different. I I couldn't find in my research in history where this has all been inflation's been a problem in Australia and in the US and in Canada and in Europe 
at the same time that we're all trying to deal with it, you know, and control it at the same time. Any any thoughts and comments on that as you compare it again to history, looking back and, and where we are specifically today in this in this cycle? Well, no, usually when you start having major inflation in the world's leading economy that affects everywhere. I mean, read the price of copper is the price everywhere. You can't, you know, if the price of copper goes up in Germany, it also goes up in Australia and goes up in Japan. You can't say, oh, we're going to buy cheap copper somehow. You can't say we're going to buy cheap gasoline. No, the price of oil goes up, maybe not the same degree, but the prices go up everywhere. And if people say, oh, my gosh, the price of eggs is going through the roof, the people who produce eggs sell the eggs where they can get the most money. So the price of eggs goes up everywhere. No, I, I'm sorry. Inflation, when it occurs in major economies, usually eventually affects everybody, whether we like it or not. Right, right. And then you have the other developing countries who are borrowing in US dollars and have to pay it back. And now the borrowing costs have gone up. So you know that's there's an issue there as well. Well, if interest rates go up in the U.S. and you have borrowed U.S. dollars, you have to pay our interest rates, whether you like it or not. It would be wonderful if you could figure out a way that well, we can buy eggs cheaper than everybody and pay less interest rates than everybody else. But I haven't figured out that yet. If you figure it out, let us know. No, it's 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 just a commentary. It's just interesting to see see where we're headed. Um, Jim, what are you coming into twenty twenty three? Where are you investing your money these days? What's what's sort of the advice to the average listener? As we come into this high inflationary environment, you know, we're talking about eggs being, you know, and copper being expensive across the globe. This isn't just a U.S. problem like 2008. That's that's now, you know, around the the globe. Where's a where's a smart investor like yourself placing their money these days? Well, first of all, uh, smart investors should not listen to other people. They should only invest in what they themselves know. That's how you become a smart investor. You don't listen to hot tips. I mean, everybody wants to get rich quick. Right. I want easy money. I want fast money. But I know that easy money and fast money is dangerous money. So to be successful, you don't listen to other people. You stay with what you know. If I told you that you would only have 20 investments in your life, you're going to be very careful about what you invest in. You're not going to be listening to some guy you see on the internet. You're going to be very careful and you're going to be successful. So I can tell you some of the things I'm doing, but please, if I say to you that agriculture has got a great future, do not invest in agriculture unless you like getting out in the sun and getting hot and dirty and know what you're doing uh, because you're going to fail if you just listen to and copy other people. Uh, and when we have inflation, the way to succeed is to own the things that go up in price. So the things that go up in price are usually real assets. I mean, bonds in around the world are a bubble. Bonds have never been this expensive in the history of the world. So I cannot find, unless there's a special situation bond somewhere, I would not invest in bonds. Property in many places has become a bubble. If you go to Korea, New Zealand, some parts of the U.S. and other things, you know, there are bubbles already. Some stocks, I mean, you know, some of those American tech stocks went up every day. They became a bubble and still are in something of a bubble. But that's true in Korea, Japan, wherever you go. 
many, many stocks have become a bubble. The only thing I know that's still cheap on the historic basis, I mean, silver's down 50% from its all-time high. That's not a bubble when something's down 50% from its all-time high. Sugar, oh my God, sugar's down 60 or 70% from its all-time high. So the most real assets, commodities, are cheap on a historic basis, and there are supply problems and demand problems developing in some of these commodities. So that may be a place where people can find good opportunities. And if inflation is going to come back or continue, those are the things that are going to go up. That's what inflation is. Inflation means prices go higher and you own the things that go higher. You you do well. Are you, um, this is a, we obviously talk a lot about real estate investing on this show, commercial real estate here in the US. What are your thoughts on, if you have any opinions on, you talk about bubbles and commercial real estate is, you know, particularly multifamily has seen a big, big rise in the last 10 to 15 years. Any comments on that for the listeners who I know tune in every single week to, to, to hear about multifamily investing? Well, if you, I know that there's some great multifamily investments somewhere in the world right now, probably many places in the world. I don't know where, but I don't I don't pay that much attention uh, to that sort of investment. But if you know where they are now, yes, there are bubbles in many places. If you go to Korea or New Zealand, as I said, or some places in the world, multifamily apartments are in a serious bubble. It should be avoided. But that does not mean that they're not great opportunities, probably in agricultural areas. Multifamily apartments are still cheap because agriculture has not been very good for the past 30 or 40 years. So there are bound to be places where you can find good opportunities. There always are. I just do not know them. Yep. No, it's, it's what, good, you good, do is you. Should, what you should do is listen to Reed. He will tell you. He will tell you where they are. <laughs> don't, as you say, as you say, my friend, don't listen to people on the internet, right? It's got to, you got to, I do like the advice of invest in what you know in. Um, as we come to the end of the show, and I'll be, we want to be respectful of your time, and I know you're a busy, busy man. Is any sort of advice for investors getting started in today's world, high inflationary stuff? You mentioned hard assets, but, but in terms of bigger, taking one step back, what are you, what's your number one? piece of advice that you can give to a person starting out over the decades that you've been investing across the globe in different, many different countries. What is that sort of number one piece of advice for people starting out today? Well, first of all, read a lot and learn a lot before you get involved. Uh, even if you're very successful for several months or for a year or two, there's a lot you don't know. Uh, at least there was a lot I didn't know. Uh, in, in my early days. And so the more you know, and you're going to find out that this is not an easy way to make a living. It, it looks easy. Everybody said, I could have bought Apple. It's easy. I could have bought Apple. Well, okay. You, you wouldn't have, and you couldn't have probably. Anyway, the, it's, first of all, it's not easy. Second, there's a huge amount you need to learn. And then if you're going to be successful, back to what I said, stay with what you know. That's how people become successful investors. They don't become successful investors jumping in and out of things, listening to hot tips, you know, going down to the bar and listening to all the good stories. That's not the way you become a successful investor. You, be, you just be boring. 
be boring and stay with what you know. And that's how you will be a very successful investor. But take your time and learn a lot about how it works first. Because one time early in my career, you know, I I made it an astonishing success after only two or three years in the business. Um, and everybody around me was going broke. And all of a sudden, I was making money hand over fist. And I really thought this must be very easy. You know, I'm going to be so rich. Needless to say, a few months later, I had lost everything. Wow. Because there were, and, and by the way, the companies that I invested in eventually did better than I thought they would. But the problem was there was a lot I didn't know. I didn't understand how other investors worked in the market. I didn't understand that many investors don't know what I thought I knew. And there's, you have to learn about not just yourself, not just about your investment. You have to learn about other people and the markets and how they work because they're not rational. People aren't rational. But markets aren't rational. This is not an easy way to make money. <laughs> I love that people aren't rational because it's so true. You know, uh, I feel humans are the cause of, of every recession, right? It's, we, we, talk, we talk ourselves in, we do something stupid, you know, we will repeat history over and over again. We won't learn and it was, you know, we'll end up back to where we were before and we'll say we'll do things different next time and we keep on making the same bloody mistakes. <laughs> the, main, the main lesson that people should learn from history is People do not learn the lessons of history. <laughs> history is very clear, but people don't pay attention. They don't care. Or they think it's different this time. They think they don't need to know history. Well, I know, I now realize history is smarter than I am. Right, 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 right. Um, well, at the end of every show, Jim, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. It's a lightning round. I'll ask you five quick questions, get your answer. You ready to jump into it? Well, I am, but I don't know if I can keep up. Go ahead. <laughs> Question number one is, what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Wait, what's the, the day? I go to the gym every day for at least a couple hours a day. Well, I mean, every day that I can. Nice. So obviously, sometimes if I'm on a plane or something, I cannot go. But if I can, I go. Nice. Question number two is, what's who has been the most influential person in your career over the years? Well, now, I would say my two teenage children. I never wanted children. I told you before, they were children were a horrible waste of time and money. <laughs> I felt sorry for people who had children, but I would say I, then I had children and I realized I was wrong. And there, I have learned enormous amounts from these kids. And I continue to learn every day about life, about people, about everything. I, I, it's, it sounds like it's made you humble in, in, uh, in your older years. As I say, I learned a lot from these little girls. <laughs> another, another question number three is in um, is about influence of a tool. So when I'm talking in your business, what is the most influential tool that you use? And when I say tool, it could be a phone, a physical a physical tool, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run your business without. What is it? Well, it's reading. Uh, I mean, you can read from paper newspapers or the internet or phones. There are lots of ways to get access to read things. But the single most important thing for me is reading, reading, reading. Yeah, I love as it. Much about, as much as I can about lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. Question number four is in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? Oh, my God. 
That's <laughs> in one word. That's, one that's a one day. <laughs> that's a day. That's a day. You want to hear about my first wife? Oh my God! <laughs> Enormous mistakes, you know. I I told when I, but I told you before I met a great triumph in the stock market in my early days, which led to my dis the disaster, losing. I guess that was what the biggest lesson or the biggest teacher for me was losing everything, even though I was right in the end about those stocks. Every one of them I was right about, but I lost everything first because I didn't understand markets and other people. As a follow-up question to that, how did you how did you pick yourself back up after losing everything? Because I assume when you when you get money so quickly that at such a young age, thinking that you're invincible, how do you dust your, your feet off and your knees off and go again? Well, you look around, a lot of people have huge failures and they become priests or suicide or run away. I mean, I guess I could have done all of those things, but I didn't want to be a priest. I didn't want to run away, and I certainly didn't want to commit suicide. So all I could do was start over and just ah, start saving my money and trying to come back. And I did. I mean, that was the only only solution I knew. Right. Not. Well, I, was, I guess the answer to your question is I just didn't give up. You didn't give up. No, that's and, and, I, and I think that that resilience is such an important thing when you do hit rock bottom and at such a young age, you know, getting to sort of you know, making all this money and thinking it's easy and all that sort of stuff. So, um, one last question before we go, I, I, you know, you're an avid traveler, so I'm an avid traveler. What's been the what's the best country? What's the best place you've ever visited in your entire life? I'm sure that's a bit of a there'd be many, but is there one one place that sticks out to you? A uh, one adventure that sticks out? Well, I mean, I was once held hostage for nine days in the Congo. That sticks out. <laughs> it wasn't particularly fun. When you say sticks out, yeah. If you've been held hostage in the Congo for nine days, it will stick out. I assure you. If you survive, fortunately, I survived. Here I am alive and, and can talk about it. But, well, when you travel, you know, if you, when, when, I live, well, when I live in Singapore, if I go out, the door, I more or less know what's going to happen to me, whether I go right, left, or straight ahead. But when you're traveling, you never know what will happen in five minutes. I mean, you could be the goddess, you could be dead, you could be in the hospital, you could be in jail. I mean, who knows? And that's the great, for me, the great adventure and the great excitement of traveling to unknown places overland. Uh, that is a constant thrill for me. And, and you learn enormous amounts about the world. I mean, even the failures, as I said, I was held hostage. But I, you certainly learn a lot from those kind of experiences. I mean, it's a hard way to learn. Uh, and, you know, divorce is a good way to learn about life. It's not fun. I don't recommend it. But, you know, so failures can lead to great uh, learning experiences and even the disasters going around the world. And there was certainly, obviously, plenty when you go around the world. Um, we went through war zones, epidemics, droughts, all sorts of things. Um, but you learn, and that's exciting as long as you survive. It's not exciting if you wind up dead or something, but it was exciting and still is for me. That's awesome. Mate, I could, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but I do want to respect your time. Um, people want to reach out to you. Where do they go? 
Well, I mean, I don't have anything to sell. Um, <laughs> I guess those, those books I've published, yeah, but the people can buy those and read those. But I don't, I don't have a newsletter or something to sell to people. I don't have a fund. I'm just a simple unemployed person trying to survive. Jim, you're more than that. I think you're very inspirational to many, many folks who, who listen to this podcast and, and subscribe to financial freedom and, and understanding the global economy. So with that being said, I want to thank you very much for jumping on today's show. Uh, I want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think your history of just being able to be curious, you know, a, a boy from, uh, from, from, from a small country town, getting out there, being curious, traveling the world in the way that you've traveled. And for those folks who haven't read Jim's stories, I definitely recommend getting, getting your hands on one of his books, but you know, everything from the Guinness world record that you hold to, you know, creating money on, on, on wall street, but then to go out and see how other people live their life. I'm, I, I, I'm very similar to you in that way that I like to see how other folks live and how other economies work um and it's it's you know that curiosity has probably driven you to where you are today and you know you have had kids in your later in your life and you've you've had so many awesome experiences um i just want to you know thank you again for for jumping on the show and, and sharing a little bit of your time your precious time with us uh and, and the knowledge that you bestow upon us but uh, did i leave anything out well uh, you did mention three guinness world records and yes it was fun to do the things to achieve those, but the Guinness Book of Records doesn't pay you rent. <laughs> my, my family thought it was great, but, but read, do not think the Guinness Book of World Records is a way to success or prosperity. It's fun, but and it's not easy to do some of those things, but you got to keep at it. Don't give up. Don't give up if you're going to be happy. But, but I think it's it's also the the. the testament to you wanting to be curious and go and challenging yourself so that's i think that's that's the thing i was getting at but uh again my friend thank you so much for jumping on the show enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very very soon well thank you thank you thank you just be careful you know listen to read and be careful (laughs) there are going (laughs) to be some difficult times coming up thank you my friend be well thank you bye-bye Well, there you have it, another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Jim Rogers, the the Jim Rogers. So if you you don't know who Jim Rogers is, Google him. Check out all his books. He is a world-renowned investor, entrepreneur, global traveler, adventurer, uh, and he's got so many awesome views on what's going to happen and what's coming up with the debt, you know, being in such a big debtor market that we're in here living in the US and printing a lot of money and where we are going in in that, you know, in the next couple of years. We don't have a crystal ball. Getting a bit of Jim's time today, 30 minutes uh, was was incredible just to hear a little bit about what he is doing in his investments and, you know, investing in hard assets. I think that's a, that's a really important lesson to take away from today's show. Um, look, I want to thank all of you to, for taking some time out of your day today to listen to Jim. It's a, it's a definitely a special episode that we brought to you here at uh, Investing in the US podcast. We spent a lot of time trying to get Jim on the show uh, to cultivate something for, for you guys. So hopefully you're taking a lot away. Uh, it's only a very short snippet of, of his time here, or his snippet into his life. Uh, I do encourage you to, to get your hands on some of his books and to read more about what he is preaching. We only had, again, a short period of time with allocated with him today, um, but definitely check him out. Uh, and I want to thank you again all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes, and we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Hold up. 